Welcome to the Disrupt Your Career podcast, brought to you by Claire Harbour and Antoine Tirant. We're passionate about helping everyone find fulfillment in their work life. We believe that big, messy, uncharted career changes are inevitable. And it's up to you to decide. Will you take control and disrupt? Or allow yourself to be disrupted? We wrote the book about it. And now we share here our conversations with other thinkers in this crucial area. Settle down and get ready to listen to this dose of wisdom. So on this time's episode of Disrupt Your Career, we're welcoming Joseph Liu. Joseph is a speaker, teacher, coach, podcaster, and general expert on career changes and relaunches. He's joining us today from London and has lived and worked all over the world. His degree in psychology from Northwestern University got him started on this journey, and we're looking forward to learning a great deal more with Joseph as we get into conversation. Joseph, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Claire. Well, let's start, as we usually do, with understanding a bit more about your career journey. You've been through several significant pivots and challenges in your career, working first of all in healthcare consulting, then FMCG, and now more recently as a speaker, consultant, and podcast host. You also started out with a conviction that you would be a medical doctor. Why don't you tell us how this extraordinary career unfolded? And tell us something about whether it was by design or serendipity. And if you can take us through some of your key moments of pride or achievements and the challenges, we're very much looking forward to hearing. Okay, well, maybe I'll start, Claire, by just giving you a quick time-lapse snapshot of how my career unfolded. You asked whether it was through design or serendipity, and originally it was actually through design. So as you mentioned, I spent my early childhood through my teenage years and into my early 20s assuming and planning and thinking I was going to become a medical doctor. That was my oh, singular pesky assumptions. <laughs> aspiration at the time. And I actually did go to medical school. I matriculated to the Georgetown School of Medicine a couple years after I graduated from Northwestern with a psychology degree. In between those two years after college, I actually dabbled in some areas that I was interested in, like I was interested in broadcast journalism. I was interested in the business world and sales. So I lived for a very brief stint in Hawaii, went to Georgetown School of Medicine, and then left after two weeks because it wasn't a great fit for me. I realized at the time that I'd been on the wrong path, and we can get into more of those details if you want to. Eventually, tried to figure things out along the way, and this is where it kind of shifted from design to just trying to figure it out one step at a time. I left medical school after two weeks, shifted into the healthcare arena on the business side of things. So worked for a health policy consulting firm in Washington, DC. Eventually did my MBA at the University of Michigan and then spent the next 10 years working in brand marketing. So first of all, started off with corporate brand marketing prior to doing my MBA. And then I marketed household goods at the Clorox company, working for brands, including Glad and Liquid Plumber, moved to the UK and then marketed luxury desserts, including Goo Puds and Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And then just to kind of finish up my journey, after spending about 10 years working in the corporate world, I left that world behind in 2013 and decided to start my own career consultancy. And my focus now is on helping people relaunch their careers using the principles 
of branding and marketing, but applying them to people and also trying to tap into some of my own personal experiences of navigating some of those pivots myself along the way. Beautiful story. I know there are some details which will no doubt come out as we go through that certainly have a romantic bent and all kinds of wonderful contextual and extraneous reasons for change as well, which of course we know are a reality for most of us. We don't do our careers in a vacuum. But let's think about some of the lessons you've learned as you've worked through those different iterations of your career, large and small companies, very differing vocations, What would be some key lessons you've picked up? The lessons I picked up relate mostly to the second half of your other question, which I didn't get to, which probably I should get to, which was some of those challenges and achievements along the way. And I actually think I learned the most through some of those challenging moments, whether it was leaving medical school or moving from the US to the UK or leaving the corporate world behind and moving to the world of self-employment. And I suppose when I think about my stint in the corporate world, I was actually really happy with that experience. I spent about 10 years in the corporate world. And I think that although I chose to leave that behind, working in that environment really instills you with what I would call a ruthless practicality to your life. And you kind of understand how to navigate the complex matrixed environments of companies similar to those who have actually become clients of mine now. And so I guess when I think about the three things I've learned along the way, the first one that I've learned is that you absolutely can make a pivot in your career, no matter what other people think, but it's not easy. And I think this is why most people don't make pivots in their careers because the linear career path tends to be the one with the least amount of friction. So that's the first thing I learned. The second thing I learned was that there are trade-offs to everything. So when I worked at a big company, there were advantages to that. You know, you work at a large company like Clorox or General Mills, and you've got access to high quality people, resources, training, a big brand name behind you, instant credibility from working at an established organization. But you've got a lot of bureaucracy and hierarchy to navigate. Work at a small company, it's really fast moving, but there's a lot of standards that maybe aren't necessarily in place. So uh, same thing goes with working full-time in traditional employment versus self-employment. There's trade-offs to both of those, which we can get into if you want to. That was the second thing I learned. And then I guess the third major lesson is that nothing is forever and you shouldn't take anything for granted. When I was working in the corporate world, I went through and survived multiple rounds of layoffs at multiple companies. You may have a manager you love and the next day you might go to having a manager who you don't love. And there's also this thinking and almost like an irony around the idea that people want to work in these large organizations because they provide you with stability and predictability and credibility. But in some ways, it's kind of an illusion because all that can change in a heartbeat as a result of economic downturn or organizational restructuring or a change in company strategy. So yeah, you never really know what the future holds for you. Indeed not. And I love the expression, nothing's forever, because of course it offers the opposite opportunity as well. You know, nothing bad is forever either. So if you go through some sort of adversity in your career path, you're not consigned to accepting that for the rest of your life with no method of appeal, whatever. It's within our control to make the bad things stop as well as accepting that the good ones might too. 
Absolutely. I mentioned leaving medical school, Claire, and those three years between medical school and starting business school and doing my MBA were really tumultuous for me. Like I wasn't sleeping well. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I felt like I was a big failure for dropping out of medical school. And that lack of direction, I just could not get clarity on that. And that was a real struggle for me. And I never thought I was going to get out of that. I was like super depressed and <laughs> didn't think I was ever going to get my life back on track. But as you mentioned, that's also not forever. Interesting. So it sounds as though you're touching a little bit on the subject of identity as well. I guess from our late teen years on, we tend to carve out our identity as beings pretty much inextricably linked with what we do, whether that means we're in medical school or whether that means we're working for a big company or a small company or whatever. So thinking about your transition from the corporate world to being an independent consultant, which of course is a massive change. We talked about some of the more practical aspects of that, but what was the challenge for you in terms of how your identity shifted over that particular transition? It was a major rude awakening for me, Claire, because I think you've got all these romanticized versions of branching off on your own and relaunching your career and working for yourself that is sort of, I guess, glamorized and Hollywood. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be working in this beautiful office with fresh cut flowers and my clients are going to love me all the time and I'll take coffee breaks. I mean, didn't Boris Johnson just say something absolutely ridiculous about working from home? Coffee and cheese would probably help us all to stay motivated in working from home. The reality is very far from that. So major root awakenings. You mentioned identity. So you go from having a team to working completely on your own. I was literally working on a standing desk made out of a cardboard box in our lounge in Market Harbor. We'd actually moved to Market Harbor. For those people who are not from the UK, they don't know where that is, or people who live in the UK and also don't know where that is. It's in the Midlands and it's kind of a village town. It's very small, very few working professionals there who work in London. It's kind of out of the way. We went there to downsize and to reduce our costs. And so you're working alone. You go from having tons of resources in the corporate world to having an really no resources. You have colleagues to having to figure everything out on your own, stable income to generating your own income. And also the big one that I really struggled with was you go from working for a really well-known brand like Haagen-Dazs at a well-known company, General Mills, and that's on your business card. You show it to anybody, instant credibility. It doesn't even matter how well you perform in the company, but people just assume you've got a certain level of achievement. And then you go to working on your own. It's just you. It's like your name, which doesn't mean anything to anybody. And so that was a really tough change for me. But you're still here and you're still in that iteration. I am, yes. It must have worked out. That's great. So let's turn this around a little bit and think about, you know, having gone this very constantly pivoting path. What advice would you want to give those early career professionals who are graduating at this point or maybe just starting? What would you be asking them to think about as they consider their options? Well, the first is probably just a bit of a reality check and almost to alleviate some of the pressure you might be feeling, which is that you've got to identify your passion and figure out exactly what you want to do before you pursue it. And what I've found is that's a really high bar to achieve. It can be very daunting to figure out what it is you want to do with the rest of your entire life. So 
I would probably focus on three things. One is I would try to do what energizes you and to just use that as a clue as to where you should take your career. Everything you do is either going to energize or deplete you. And those things that energize you, those things that you find meaningful, that is a promising path to take, even though you may not know exactly where it's going to lead you. That's the first thing. Second thing to think about, which I know is very difficult, and I struggled with this a lot, was to not worry as much about what other people think. And I get that what your family members think about you matters and your friends and your peer group and the people who you graduated with, the people who are showing up on your LinkedIn feed. I get that it is hard not to completely divorce yourself from where you perceive where you are and what you've achieved in life from what others have achieved by the same point in time in their lives. But the reality is that most people aren't really, this is going to sound horrible. They're not really thinking about you that much. Yes, they're not thinking, you know, like they're not thinking about your career as much as you're thinking about your career. And you're the one who's got to look yourself in the mirror every single day. So I would try to step back from others' judgments to the extent that you can. And then the other one to keep in mind is just to balance aspiration with practicality. So I'm a big proponent of people following their dreams and doing what they love to do at the same time. And this might just be my tilt from going to business school and working in the corporate world, there is something to be said for CV building or resume building. There are moves you can make that are going to be more productive. And there's decisions that you make that will tend to open doors and others that tend to close them. So it is important to be practical. At the same time, you can't always just be practical. And sometimes you got to take a leap because it just feels right. And that's where I tended to struggle during my pivot points was I couldn't quite rationalize it, even though I felt deep down that this was the right thing for me. So it's just keeping those in balance if you can. That mix of a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of reality or fancifulness perhaps rather than fantasy, but either way, that balance is tough. I love the mention of the energy audit It's an exercise that I do with many of my clients, not necessarily around career, but it's a really useful exercise, isn't it? To be done at any stage when you're reviewing how you're doing, whether it's in order to make a huge jump or just to be clear about what's important coming up. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Let's move and talk about your podcast, Career Relaunch. You know, we've got all kinds of things to talk about here, but I'd love to understand what your motivation was originally to start podcasting, to hear a little bit about how you've built your audience and your very, very enviable statistics. And absolutely do free to have just a little bit of humble boasting here if you feel like it. So yeah, my podcast is called Career Relaunch. And I feature people who have made major career changes, professionals around the world, who have made the brave choice to reinvent themselves. And the origins of the podcast are a combination of both my professional interests and also what I didn't realize at the time, but actually was a strong personal interest that I had in radio and broadcast from a very, very young age. So, well, I'm originally from the United States. I spent most of my childhood in a town called Springfield, Missouri, which is in the Midwest of the United States. And I don't know exactly how old I was, but my mom bought a tape recorder. It was one of these like old cassette 
tape recorders and you could like hold down the orange record button as you press the play button to Indeed get the you did. I mean, it yes. was like I'm really dating myself but I thought that was amazing like I thought it was so cool you could capture your voice on this cassette and I would actually spend time in my closet with a blanket wrapped around a bunch of boxes and I would sit there and I would just record random things. I would interview my sister. I would record commercials and advertisements off the TV and I would just play them back. And I loved it. I thought it was so cool. I never imagined that many, many years later, I mentioned to you, I went to Hawaii after I finished at Northwestern. I actually did a very brief stint in news broadcasting for Hawaii Public Radio, which is the national public radio affiliate in Honolulu. Loved it. I read news. I read the weather. I talked about the daily wind, the wind report, which is a big thing in Hawaii, which way the wind is blowing for surfers. Yeah. And I loved it. It was so cool. And I really enjoyed it. And then what happened was when I started off as a coach back in 2012 to 2013, when I was coaching clients, what I found was a common pattern amongst them was that these people who are making career changes, talking with multiple people, I heard the same thing again and again, which was that they weren't really looking for advice per se, but they were looking for more reassurance and companionship as they tried to figure things out on their own. And what I did was about a year into doing this coaching, I worked with one of my business school classmates named Anna Archbold, who kindly offered as someone who was a fellow marketer, she was working at a different FMCG company at the time to do a little bit of research with my clients and to ask them, what are they looking for from me or just from the world in general. And what people told her again and again was that they wanted to hear more stories. So what I thought was, I'm just going to try to capture some stories of people who have made career changes. And that could be a resource for my clients originally. And I had heard so many shows. I was a podcast listener myself and they featured like millionaires or these like startup founders whose companies had these multi-billion dollar valuations. And I always just felt like that's just really hard to relate to as an average person. So what I've tried to do is really feature people who aren't even looking to be on a podcast, who don't have an amazing story to share, but just have a relatable story to share and to capture what they're going through as they're figuring things out. So just to kind of wrap up, with the show, it's been on air now for coming up on six years. We've got a global audience. Most of the listeners are in the US, UK, Canada, and Australia in that order. And I have now had over 80 guests on the show from over 10 different countries, five continents. And I really enjoy it. And I learn a lot from hearing all these people's stories. Beautiful. We love working with story too. And actually, I have a uh currently on hold podcast called Career Quicksilver, which is a little bit similar. Um, so we should probably compare notes on that. But I'm wondering, you know, I heard you loud and clear that you've got your guests on your podcast who are not necessarily absolutely off the scale extraordinary, but they've each got their own unique and interesting story. Could you share a couple of them with us, maybe not in great detail, but something that has really struck you about a couple of the stories that you've worked with? I feel like the ones that tend to resonate not only with me, but also my listeners are these ordinary people with these extraordinary stories. And I call them extraordinary because they're people who could have just kept going on the way they were 
in their lives and things would have been okay. Like there was nothing necessarily dramatically wrong. They weren't these people who were just immensely unhappy, but they chose to make a brave leap into the unknown before they had it 100% figured out. And I also caught them when they were still in the midst of their change. So I think the before and the after is really interesting, but the before and during a change is, is that's where I think a lot of people are who listen to these shows. So there's a couple people that immediately jump out, although every guest has been really unique in their own right. First person who comes to mind is a woman named Sandeep Johal, who's based in Vancouver, Canada. And I think we cross paths on Instagram or something, or we exchange messages on Instagram. And she used to be a teacher and then became an artist. And she talked about her journey of trying to go from one field to a completely different field. And I guess the reason why I found her so interesting was because I actually learned a lot of useful things from her about the importance of mindset. And she said that she had to get to a point where she was actually her number one fan, where she liked the art that she was creating and that she believed in it so that she could then convey that to other people. So she talked about that. She talked about the importance of not continuing to tolerate doing work that you don't really enjoy and that you should take it upon yourself to do something that you actually find meaningful. So that's one person. Another person, Vicky Dane, who used to be a corporate lawyer in London. I bumped into her at a friend's wedding in Southampton in the UK. And she took a little bit of time off and just dabbled in a lot of different areas to try to figure out what she wanted to do because she knew she didn't want to be in corporate law anymore, but didn't know what to do instead, which is where a lot of people are. They know they don't want to do what they're currently doing, oh, but yeah. they don't yeah, they don't know where they want to go. And through a series of somewhat random, but also intentional explorations in baking and farming and just informational interviewing, she actually eventually became a clinical psychologist. And I just demonstrated the power of inspiration and demonstrated the power of experimentation. And then the final one I'll mention is a guy named Chris Donovan, who's based in Massachusetts in the US. And this is a guy in his 50s who had spent 25 years as a telephone repairman. He was literally, I mean, very blue collar, just like repaired like telephones. He was the guy you called it to literally either repair a telephone or to help you figure out how to repair them. And he ended up deciding he wanted to design women's shoes, going back to a really early interest of his in high school, where he was just fascinated with shoes. He went to a little weekend course, and I believe it was New York, and then eventually went to Italy to study how to design shoes. And huge leap of faith, didn't know where it was going to go. He was the oldest guy in his class. One of the only men, the only guy over the age of 30, I think. And now he's actually designing and producing some of these women's shoes under his name, Chris Donovan. Wow. Brilliant leaps of faith. Well, that brings us rather neatly to one of your strong philosophies in life, which is that of letting go of what you have to make room for something else more meaningful. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how this became important to you? And if time, then give us a couple of illustrations of how it's working out for you. This is a really big philosophy that I've had for a very long time. You got to let go of something to, to make room for something more important to you. And I find it hard to let go of stuff. 
we all want to hang on to the things that we've got. Psych, going back to my days in psychology, there's a lot of psychological research about loss avoidance and how humans are wired to avoid letting go of things. So this has been important to me on a very personal basis. So medical school was something that I wanted to do for many years of my life. And it was only after I let go of that, that I had room to do something more entrepreneurial and more creatively energizing and eventually go and do my MBA at the University of Michigan. And I don't think I ever answered the achievement question, but getting into business school was one of the turning points in my life. I only applied to one business school. I wanted to go to University of Michigan, and it was a bit of a redemption for me, if you will, going from being one of the only 3% of students dropping out of medical school to eventually going to Michigan, having a scholarship to go there. And I found that to be a real door-opening experience for me. But I had to make room for that. Similarly, when I left the corporate world to start my own business, I had to let go of all the convenient credibility, immediate identity that you get from working for a well-established organization to then be able to create more of the things important to me, like freedom and autonomy and doing work I found meaningful, having an impact that I felt would be positive around the people around me. But I couldn't do both. And I could actually feel that on a day-to-day basis, which is what ultimately convinced me to leave the corporate world behind. And then I've also seen this play out in my actual individual work as a business owner. I was used to do a lot of one-on-one coaching and really enjoyed it, but I wanted to do more speaking engagements. And I've had to let go of working with some individual clients. I don't proactively take on new individual clients, but that allows me to have more room to give some of these talks at business schools and at corporate clients that I really enjoy doing. It's hard to have it all. And I want to have it all and everybody wants to have it all. You got to let go of something to make room for something else. And if you can do that, then your life and your career can progress and evolve as you are inevitably progressing and evolving in your own life. For sure. There's a beautiful metaphor I've heard recently, which is that of a fire burning with lots of logs. You can actually only make the fire burn well if there are spaces between the logs. And uh, it's just such a vivid visual reminder. So that's the one I keep in mind and use to chivy my clients along in their thinking of not getting too stacked up with stuff and making space for the creativity. Now, let's talk about your career change roadmap. This is one of your products and programs. It's made up of seven stages. Without giving away all your trade secrets in one go, could you take us through a little bit about the approach and tell us why it might be useful? This is a career change roadmap that I share quite openly with people, and I talk about it in my workshops. And the idea here is that in order to figure out where you want to go, well, not only in your career, but anywhere, you've got to figure out where you are at this moment. It's the you are here sticker that you see on on maps and parks or when you press the where am I button on like Google Maps or something. So got to figure out where you are in order to figure out where and how to go where you want to go. And what I found was in the early days of my coaching, I was noticing that clients were telling me very similar things across different clients. They were struggling with the same emotional roller coaster. I could see that they were at different stages of the process of relaunching their careers. And I started to keep track of that, just a series of post-it notes on my wall. And there started to be this emotional 
not like predictable journey, but a very common emotional journey that people are going through that reminded me of some of the similar models that I used to study in undergraduate related to grief and the stages of grieving. And so I've come up with this seven stages of career change where I won't go through all the stages right now, but you're basically going from wondering if you are in the right career to trying to find ways to fix it to being exhausted by the experience of trying to fix it, eventually leaving, having some headspace to figure things out, and then ultimately relaunching your career. And there's this emotional journey that kind of goes down (laughs) quite steadily. And then it dips down during that exhaustion phase. And then you get some space to reflect. You kind of gather your confidence and your clarity and your courage, and then you relaunch yourself. So I share this with people as a way of helping them figure out where am I? on my career change journey? And what are some of the steps that I can take to move myself forward through what will inevitably be a roller coaster ride? And I've found that people just hearing that this is going to be emotional and just hearing that this is going to be challenging, that alone can be reassuring and comforting to kind of normalize the process of changing directions. They're not alone. And of course, it's a nonstop roller coaster, isn't it? Because even if you go from where you start calling it point A and thinking that you want to get to point B, unless you're 99, there's likely to be a point C at some point. And the same journey will happen, but with more confidence, perhaps. If you could have a chat with 18-year-old Joseph, what sort of advice would you want to be giving to him? Well, let's see here. I'm just thinking back to what I was doing when I was 18. I mean, I think at the time I had just recovered from a collapsed lung and a collapsed lung surgery, which was one of the reasons that I propelled myself toward medical school. And then I was graduating high school, moving to a big city for the first time, which is Chicago, Northwestern. I suppose the first thing I would try to convince myself of is to just not be so rigid with my goal setting. Mm-hmm. because I had grown up finding that goal setting and focusing on some sort of a target was actually quite effective and productive uh-huh. for me in my life up until that point. That's how I got where I wanted to go and it was working for me. So I kind of felt like achieving your goals was a good thing, but I guess it wasn't until I got to medical school that I realized that maybe it's not such a great thing to be so rigid and say that I must do this. I have to block every other option out and be singularly focused on achieving this one goal because I just find that you're just putting too many eggs in one basket. And for me, that resulted in me not pursuing some of these side interests in college, like maybe working for the college radio station or dipping over to the Medill School of Journalism, which is one of the top schools of journalism in the United States, and maybe taking a couple courses and classes there. So yeah, to maybe not be so like plan oriented. And the second thing was just to enjoy myself a little bit more in college. I actually went back to Northwestern, Claire, just a couple months ago. Yeah. And all I could think about when I was there was just how much I had my head down in university. I was just like studying so much. And I just, I wish I, I wish I just would have enjoyed myself a little more. It wasn't that I did, had a bad time, but I definitely didn't give myself a lot of freedom to slack off. Not much permission to do anything other than that straight line. No, I was like focused on getting A's. I wanted to get into medical school, had to keep my GPA above a certain level. And that was it. 
to me at the time. So yeah, now that I'm in my forties, it's harder to have that kind of freedom now. So that's what I would do. I try to enjoy myself a little more. Absolutely. Breathing. Let's just turn our attention briefly to organizations. You meet them directly and indirectly through your clients and, well, corporate clients and individuals who are part of organizations. Where do you see good examples of talent and career management? I do cross paths with a lot of different people, primarily in business schools. I work with executive MBAs at a range of business schools, including London Business School, Oxford Business School, Cambridge. I've crossed paths with other folks in Kellogg School of Management. Harvard University alumni. And so I see a lot of different people from a lot of different organizations and I hear a lot about different organizations. One of the things I have been seeing recently is a desire from companies to make their employees feel like there is actually permission to not follow a straight linear career path. And so I'll just mention three companies where I've actually had the privilege of speaking at these companies recently, and I've heard a lot about their programs. So one example is a company called VMware, which is based in California, and they're a tech company without going into too much detail. And they've got a program to help people who are career changers or people who are returning to work after a break and heading into the tech industry. I just gave a talk at IBM Consulting, and they've got a whole career culture now that embraces movement that doesn't follow a linear upward path. And a lot of their programming is built around that. And now to mention one more, which is Microsoft. And this is a company that I'd actually stepped foot in for the first time just a few weeks ago. And I spoke there. And what I have noticed there, and this was kind of a surprise to me because I kind of remember the Steve Ballmer days at Microsoft, at least in the news, where I at least perceived it to be a very more like kind of thinking within the box and kind of more Very linear. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, kind of traditional. That was my perception of it. But actually they want people, not the case now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they want people to be proactively thinking about how to make the most of their career journeys there. And so, I mean, these are just a few of the companies. And I'm sure there's many more out there. But as people return to the workplace, and this is happening a lot now, which is a whole other topic we can get into here, but a lot of people don't want things to just return to the way they were. And companies are realizing this about their employees. They know that they've seen how things can work. And so you can't just go back to the way things were without having people somewhat disgruntled. And this is happening right now. Like there's a lot of companies mandating that people come back X number of days a week. And so I'm hearing a lot about this this month. It's literally this month. It's starting to really happen. It really is. Well, listen, I know we could go on all afternoon. We would find endless things in common to talk about. But maybe just before we wrap up, you could share any particularly exciting prospects that you've got on your horizon for the rest of the year. I think personally and professional here. So on the professional front, my hope is to get back to a book that I had been writing, which is about navigating the stages of changing careers. I don't really have the bandwidth to do that at this moment. My hope is to get back to it though, eventually. The other thing to mention is just to continue to host my own podcast, Career Relaunch, which even after doing 80, over 80 episodes now and being on air for coming up to six years, I still really remain quite passionate about it and I really enjoy it. So that's the professional side of things. On the personal front, my four and a half year old daughter, she's starting primary school this fall. So nice. I'm really excited to 
spend a summer with her. And I mean, part, I see her all the time, but I just feel like there's this like turning point once they go to primary school and they start making their own there friends. And, mm. and so like part of the reason why I run my own business is to be able to have family time and to be there during her early years before she, and you probably know more about this than I do, Claire, because I know you've got several adult children now and four, <laughs> before she gets to a point where maybe she doesn't want to spend as much time with me. So, <laughs> so I'm just kind of trying to make the most of my time with her. And then the other thing to mention, which I'm really looking forward to, which is maybe a bit of an unconventional answer when it comes to exciting projects, is just looking forward to taking a bit of a breather from work because I have had a very busy speaking season over the past nine months. By busy, I mean, I've given over 100 talks since last fall. This is actually one of the first weeks that I've had where I don't have multiple talks to deliver. And very importantly, my mother, who is now the 77, she just turned 77 this month. She's coming over to the UK for a few months. And so I'd really like to spend some time with her. So I'm looking forward to that. Fantastic. That's an absolutely beautiful way to be projecting your time over the next little while. And I feel even more honored and touched that you made some time for us this week as you slow down and step back a little bit. So thank you, Joseph. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on with us today. Thank you so much for bringing all these wonderful ideas and all your energy. Thanks for having me, Claire. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed hearing from this month's guest as much as we did. Do go and check out our work on disrupt-your-career.com and come back soon. Thank you.